Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. I got my boy Kid Presentable with me. Hey, yo. Got DJ Mark here. Greetings. And we got, last but not least, Lavender Gooms in the building. Hello. Lavender Gooms doing his best. Lavender Gooms impersonation right there. All there ten of all ten all, all ten of you that watch Psych really dug it, I'm sure. Um, all right. Um, By the way, I, fi- I finally started watching season eight. Pretty good. The, you never watched? You watched the movie? Yeah. Are you gonna wait till after you're done? That's why I started watching season no. eight so I could watch the movie. You need the context. Was, <laughs> movie was a solid, solid did its job. Um, all right, guys. Um, it's an MMA podcast, so obviously the first thing we're gonna talk about is pro wrestling. Um, jokes aside. Um, when the best, the biggest story in ESPN, short besides the Super Bowl, is about pro wrestling and it involves a former UFC world champion and one of the, you know, biggest draws they've ever had making the transition. We got to talk about it. Let's stop speaking in code, folks. Um, there's no way you haven't heard about it at this point where Ms. Ro- Rowdy Ronda Rousey made her uh, world wrestling entertainment debut this past Sunday at the Royal Rumble. Um, it was something that was heavily, heavily rumored. Um, so much so that Rhonda tried to try to, you know, tried to outsmart the marks a little bit. And uh first she's like, Hey, I'm in Colombia in what was the stupidest, most fake TMZ interview ever, it looked like. Um, where the guy stuttered trying to say Royal Rumble, so very much a setup. Um, and then she's posting pictures, and then a makeup artist said, Hey, we're in Bogota. It's me and Rhonda. And people didn't believe a fucking word of it. Um, everybody expected her to actually come into the Rumble, and she didn't. The Rumble ended. Um, and then uh, we heard the familiar sounds of bad reputation from Miss Joan Jett. And out came Rowdy Ronda Rousey looking goddamn happier than I've ever seen anybody look happy while trying to also mean mug somebody. Um, hey, yo, Drew sighting. <laughs> yeah, for all the listeners that can't see us doing this recording live, yeah. Drew is in the background of all these Way things. to go, Mike. Way to point out, yeah, the visual element and, of my roommate walking behind us. Don't worry about us. the fact you don't know who the fuck Drew is. Yeah, sure, no problem. He's around Bobby right now. Yeah, hey, Drew, you're getting shouted out on the podcast. Congratulations. He'll have a reason to listen this week. Exactly. That's He listens every week, man. It's true Ooh, friendship. We got a hardcore fan. True friendship. Um, yeah, um, Rowdy Ronda Rousey came out. Um wearing a very large-looking leather jacket, which we learned belonged to um, legendary professional wrestler, uh, the original Rowdy, uh, Roddy Piper, given to her by Rowdy, uh, Roddy's son, which was pretty cool. Um, she did a lot of pointing to the WrestleMania sign, and those of you who are not pro wrestling fans, around this time of year, they start getting building up towards their big event, and it just involves a lot of people staring at each other, and then you point at the WrestleMania sign and say, I'm going to whoop your ass, at that event. 
That's what well, it means well, generally. My, that's my comment, having seen it. And I'm familiar with the annual, you, you point at the thing, like we're all, we're on the road to WrestleMania, is how they refer to it. Uh, but I gotta say, it clearly looked like they didn't rehearse that, like Ronda didn't get a practice run, because she points at it when she comes out. Then she does a little walk around, looking at everybody, waving, and then she points at it again, like we're looping. Ronda just fell into a loop. She's like, I don't know what else to do. Everyone's just kind of standing here for like 15 minutes while I just kind of wave to the crowd. Yeah, um, Steph, a little closer to the microphone if you could. It was uh, it was fun, but it was a little it was a little campy. Uh, and I'm glad that she just made this appearance because my thought, based on the timing of it all, is she wasn't going to be ready to wrestle. And I, I don't mean it in a mean way. She didn't look really ready to be like a kayfabe personality either. Like I said, she kind of had a cheesing smile every time she was trying to look tough. It was very much like I said, Jimmy Fallon who can't maintain character. It's uh, she she'll she'll get some seasoning, but I mean she's popular as hell. The crowd pretty much. Loves oh yeah, like I uh, the world's paying attention now. I really thought it was cute when people are like, you know, this Philadelphia crowd, which Philadelphia crowds and everything are known as a bunch of pricks, but a Philadelphia pro wrestling crowd. Um, not to get too far in the weeds here, um, they are known to be uh very hardcore fans, if you will. In that. They are very uh, just smart asses, and people are like, you know, they're going to boo Rowdy Ronda Rousey. And I'm like, bull fucking shit, they're going to boo Rowdy Ronda Rousey. They lost their mind when she came out. They started chanting, holy shit. So, yeah, all right? So what happens when a megastar shows up at your event, at the event you're at, all right? People got excited. Um, so, but uh, as the event was getting closer to an end, you kind of saw some signs that she might be there. Ariel Helwani noting that... Um, Noted uh, Ronda Rousey stenographer, I mean, uh, ESPN reporter Ramona Shelburne was there. Um, and uh, the second the thing was over, she was interviewing Ronda. And they asked Ronda about her losses, and she got real emotional and didn't want to talk about them, which that just seems like an open wound. So uh, there you go. R- Ronda Rousey, a huge fucking deal, going to the World Wrestling Federation or World Wrestling Entertainment. Um, WWE, you know, doing what they normally do, and uh, which is try to build up their big event. And she said that she is now a full-time professional wrestler. This wasn't going to be some uh, one-time cash grab or some shit like that. Um, Marcus, um, there have been rumors for a long time this was going to happen. Um, everybody kind of knew uh, that Ronda was training at the Santino Wrestling School. Uh, pretty good, famous wrestling school in Southern California. So now that it's here, Ronda Rousey, she's gonna go wrestle. She's gonna go. Uh, she's gonna go do the graps, as uh, the, the smart fans like to say. Um, what do you think? You like the move? Uh, I think it's really interesting, and I think it's really exciting. And it, it's it is something that she really, if she's gonna do it, she should you know pursue it full time and not just have one foot in and one foot out because it, it is really different. Um, I mean, there's some of this. You know, her grappling regiment will help her definitely, but and I think you know. I think she already has a storyline built in for the kind of, you know, pro wrestling character that she can portray. Um, But that's going to take practice too, because Rhonda isn't really, I wouldn't really call her like an actor or a performer. You know, she gives good interviews, but that's always coming from the heart. I I always felt. And now she's going to be working with a script, right? And she's going to have to act and portray a character. And I don't think that character will be too far from the Rhonda Rousey that we've grown and loved over the years. I think, I, I think if they were smart, they would stick to that. I would have her character be quasi heel, like she kind of was going into her fights, and kind of have her be cold and calculating. And I think, obviously, if her finisher isn't some kind of you know 
fancy judo throw into an arm bar. I don't really know what they're doing. And I think the whole shtick should be that, you know, she doesn't care about you. She just wants to break your arm and, you know, win matches and get belts and stuff. So, I mean, I definitely think there is an avenue where she can be very popular. She has a ginormous fan base already built in. Um, she just needs to capitalize on that. And, you know, she's going to have to acquire new skills that are very different from MMA, right? I mean, selling bumps and, you know, selling a match in pro wrestling is extremely different than having the mindset of demolishing your opponent and beating them in the quickest fashion possible. You know, now it's going to be about telling a story about keeping yourself safe while also keeping your opponent safe while doing, you know, fairly high risk maneuvers, you know, on a consistent basis, you know, depending on what her touring schedule is going to be like with the show, which I think would be, I imagine in the beginning will be very slow and we'll probably see her just do some run-ins on raw and then maybe just compete at the big pay-per-views until maybe we see her more steadily, steadily, um, you know, performing matches on a weekly basis. But, you know, it, it is a it's a dangerous, you know, field to get into. You know, there's a lot of physical hardship that it takes. And, you know, Ronda's not, you know, she's had her share of injuries um, throughout her career. So she's not, you know, unprone to that kind of stuff. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I think they're starting off with a strong foot. And it'll be, I'll be intrigued to see what they do with her character. And I'll be intrigued to see how she performs actually in the ring. You know, how... How do they take Ronda, the the judoko and the UFC champion, and translate that into a fun, interesting pro wrestling character? I think there's a couple different ways they can do it. And um, yeah, there's you're making a very, very good point. It's a very different world. And I remember King Mo when he made the trying to make the transition, talked about how truly difficult it was just getting used to bumps and all that stuff. Um, Marcus mentioned the different ways you can go about. They can go about doing this, uh, Steph. Um, the, and we watch enough pro wrestling to know the options here. Where if you're if you are already legitimized in the eyes of the audience as a badass, that really gives you a lot of freedom. Um, a good example of this would be Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle, who was able to really make fun of himself and really go out there as a character because no one ever questioned if he was really a bad motherfucker or not because of his credentials. Another end of that spectrum would be just like essentially making her what Brock Lesnar in pro wrestling is, which is he don't say shit. He shows up once a month or once every two or three months and just throws motherfuckers around, beats them up, and has somebody talk for him. So it's really like they have a um, a real – they have a lot of ways that can go about this, but the fact that she comes in with built-in – like she doesn't have to convince the audience of her being, you know, a tough – someone tough, it really gives her a leg up, wouldn't you say? Uh, Yeah, you know, I think – Brock's return and they kind of built him into the beast. I kind of wondered when he came back to pro wrestling from the UFC initially because I remember thinking will his losses diminish him in the eyes of pro wrestling? Now I know pro wrestling's fixed and everything, you know, like it, there's a there's a set outcome, but like, you know, cuz when when Brock first lost, it was kind of embarrassing, right? To Kane, we got that meme of spinning disco floor Brock Lesnar cuz he was rolling on the ground, you know, and so I, it made me wonder, but no, you know, like, sure, Ronda has some, she lost ugly on her way out of the UFC. I don't, I don't think we can deny that, right? We saw her real wobbly legged a couple times. Uh, that Amanda Nunes fight, it, it's the type of fight where it made you feel really dumb for picking Ronda, just of how bad it went. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the world of pro wrestling, I think, you know, in the world of pro wrestling, as they say, losses don't matter. So her kind of athletic, uh, what's the word? Um, it's just the fact, like you were saying, Bob, just the fact that people... Know she has credibility. There it is, credibility. Like, her credibility as a fighter is going to be unmatched. Uh, the one thing I thought I was going to say is kind of funny with Mark mentioning, like, it's so obvious her finisher should be some type of uh, 
armbar variation. But I did catch a little bit of the NXT TakeOver. Oh, yeah. Ronda Rousey's, like, great friend Shayna Baszler, she's using the armbar as her finisher. No, her finish, her finish is normally um, – she has, like, a rear naked choke thing she's doing, which, like, four different people are doing. Uh, Shayna really, by the way – I mean, I'm going to get into this later when I do my stuff I like. Shayna really acquitted herself as good as I thought somebody as green as her could, to be honest. I was surprised, considering she's been doing this for, like, a year. Do you think uh, that Shayna Baszler is probably pretty miffed, even though Rons is one of her good friends, that Shayna's been doing this for God knows how long now, much longer than Ronda, and Ronda's the one pointing at the WrestleMania sign? No, because this is professional wrestling, and the reason Shayna Baszler got to the UFC this quickly is because of Ronda Rousey, if we're being honest with ourselves here. Shayna was doing really well on the independent scene. I kind of kept track of it, but um, she's green as grass, and... There's a lot of, I mean, they gave her um, a title shot on their second, I guess their lesser. They have a whole promotion, Mike, which is basically for hardcore fans slash young talent. And they gave Shayna a title shot on that based on just her looking like a bad motherfucker. Like people have bought Shayna Baszler as just super tough. And part of the reason she's gotten the opportunity has got to be because of Ronda Rousey. Um, They're also trying to book this thing. At one point, they were trying to book with... The MMA version of the Four Horsewomen versus the WWF has their own version of the Four Horsewomen. So we'll see where that goes. Mike, I wanted to ask you, though, does any of this stuff, do you give the slightest shit at all? Like, would you want to see what Ronda, if Ronda's not wrestling before WrestleMania because that'd be a waste of her, quite frankly. Um, Does this make you want to watch WrestleMania? Are you going to get the free trial or pay the 10 bucks? Watch WrestleMania, but does it make me want to pay for WrestleMania? Hmm. It's not gonna make you a pro wrestling fan. As we just talked about right before we got on the podcast, you guys are surprised to see that in my video feed in the back, I was watching pro wrestling, which you guys mm. were shocked at. And I basically just said, "Well, there's literally nothing else to watch on TV," which is why I'm watching pro wrestling. To yep. anyone who's listened to this podcast for longer than a few months, you all know that of the four of us, I'm the one that does not like pro wrestling. So that's fair. Um. No, it, this doesn't really make me want to spend money to see Ronda fight. So, um, fake, fake fight. We're gonna. I, get I think, in. but I think I think in that same. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Bob. But I think in that same sense, that's kind of like Mike. You saying that you're interested to see her. You know, watch her wrestle. It's not enough to convince you to you know buy into the product and pay you know potentially ten dollars a month to get the WWE Network. But and I think that's that still says something, right? Because Mike's not a pro wrestling fan. It would take. A great deal of many things, I think, to get Mike interested into paying money to watch it. But I think when you look at the segment of UFC fans that did like pro wrestling and there's nothing really drawing them to it right now, this could be the thing that's like, oh, yeah, I like, you know, I, I did like, I, in the 90s, I watched pro wrestling and now I like Ronda and I'm interested and this intrigues me. So even though, you know, it didn't sell Mike and, and that's understandable because he's not really a fan. I think the three of us that are fans, you know, and I would say, out of the three of us, I'm probably lesser than you and Steph because I'm kind of dropping off yeah. of, of watching WWE, and I'm I'm very intrigued. I'm very interested to see you know how she performs at WrestleMania. So I feel that you know we have a good spectrum here of people that are interested in pro wrestling, and even though the outlier of not liking it, Mike, it's not enough to push him. I think just that interest being like, oh, I, I, I'd watch her do it if it was just on TV. I think that that's a good indication of yeah. how much of a pull she has. In very good point, Marcus. In fairness, though. 
Um, I think I'm a bit of an outlier, mainly because I was traumatized when I found out wrestling was fake when I was eight years old. Well, I mean, I, I was also going to say a little bit, Mike. Well, I was also going to say Mike didn't give two shits about MMA. I made him watch The Ultimate Fighter, and here we are. You had so to tell you never Mike, know. look it. This shit is not fake like wrestling. I swear to God. You know what? I, I, bet, I, bet, I, bet, we, I bet. I bet. I bet. I could turn Mike into a New Japan fan. Uh, wait, we got to remember. I I used to love wrestling when I was a kid. I literally cried when my brothers told me it was fake, and I was there crying, saying, "But look, Macho Man has blood on his face." And I ran to my parents, saying, "They keep saying wrestling's fake." And then when See, I actually clicked that it was fake, it, it just shattered me, man. The thing, Mike is I think you have the misnomer that a lot of people do. The term fake is wrong with pro wrestling. It's no, fixed. I understand it's I understand fixed. it's extremely physically demanding. I know that. But I'm just speaking as a man who he was eight years old and he learned that the that Hulk Hogan really isn't the world's greatest athlete because he actually didn't beat these people. It was all choreographed. Yeah, I, I feel for a lot of pro wrestling fans like Mike you come to that realization and then you have to find different things to like about the product, right? Like if it, cause at some point you realize like, Oh yeah, this, this is not a legitimate thing. These guys aren't actually, you know, competing and seeing who the best person is. It, it's predetermined. So I think after that, at least for us, we transitioned to look at some other aspects of what they're doing to find entertainment, like with the funny interviews and just the match being an interesting yeah. story being told. And I, it, I don't think Mike's alone at all. I think a lot of kids watch for wrestling loved it because they thought it was a legitimate sport with these two guys, you know, giving it their all. And when you get that uh, rugs, you know, swept underneath you. And I was just like, Mike, I was like, no, man, this is real. And you defend it. And then you find out like, oh, it is fake. And I feel like an idiot for believing. I feel like I was fooled. Marcus. A lot I'm, of people don't come back from that. Marcus, I wanted to ask you, did you enjoy watching Brock Lesnar throw the best combination of his fucking career? After so um, a point of reference, if anybody watched the Rumble last night, uh, Mr. Lesnar did compete. And he had a match with a large gentleman named Braun Strowman, who's uh, very young to the game himself. He's only been doing this for a year and a half. He's a bit of a wunderkind, if you will. He's really taken to it very well. But he hit. He tried to hit Brock with a knee, and uh, he got a little stiff. He got a little bit too much of Brock's head. And Brock got up, hit him with an uppercut and an overhand right for real, and stunned the poor big bastard. And the gif I sent you guys cut out, but then Brock yelled, called him stupid. So that was uh, that's a, that that that's gonna happen, man. Brock don't like getting hit in the head. Fake, real, whatever you want to call it. I, I mean, <laughs> honest. I mean, first, it's just funny to see in and of itself. But second, when I really think about it, like that's kind of really unprofessional. I mean, look at yeah, this it, it is a thing where you're trying to keep your opponent safe, but these are big guys throwing you know limbs around every now and then. You're gonna get hit a little bit harder than the guy intended. For him to basically kind of take a cheap shot, because I mean, you see him kind of well, rise up, and it wasn't an uppercut to the face. He uppercut him in the bot. Like, <laughs> dude did not see it coming. He basically hits him really hard in the stomach when he doubles over. Then he punches him in the face. I mean, really, to me, what after the initial like that's kind of funny and cool. It really just said like that guy's kind of fucking unprofessional. Well, you know, you know what it is, though, man. Like, I mean, we none of us have ever worked ever. Um, I mean, work doesn't. You know, we don't think about this shit. I was listening to uh. Couple of guys, I think it was like Chris Jericho's podcast, who's been doing this a long time, and he they were talking about this stuff in general about how you have to give a guy a receipt because it forces them to tighten up their game. So while it will, because no one no one takes it as you were taking advantage of the other guy, they take it more as like it's more of a hey man, fucking watch it. So for Brock to do that, and also honestly, the guy the way that guy works, Braun is good, but that guy, the young guy I'm talking about. 
he's a little bit reckless. So they've been working a while. I'm going to assume that's not the first time he did that because Brock did the same thing to um, the biggest star in the company. Like Roman Reigns clocked Brock twice and then Brock hit him with a clothesline right across the jaw. And then uh, Roman talked about it like, yeah, man, I hit Brock a couple times. I messed up. He gave me the receipt. We were fine. So I think it's kind of more like to us as outsiders, it looks worse than it is. To them, it's like, yeah, I, you know, I got out of line a little bit. The guy I, clubbed and, and I, I get the receipt part. It was, I think, what for me, what it was is the immediacy. Because it wasn't like he need him. And then the next time Brock got his, like, his, his chance to get a shot in, he didn't hard one. It was like this dude wasn't expecting it, and you just hit him as hard as you could in the gut. I mean, look, at it, and, and, and I think ultimately what it does, it just sells Brock more, right? Like, I mean, I could say here, like, oh, it looks a little unprofessional. He's not really playing the game right or whatever. But ultimately, the, the fans just eat it up, and we eat it up. And, you know, it makes more headlines. I didn't even know Brock was wrestling in this thing. I should have realized. But, I mean, yeah, I mean bro- it is what it is. I'm not going to yeah. crucify well, I mean, the guy or anything. It's for wrestling. You're going to get No, no, look, I'm not going to defend Brock. No, I mean, Brock's probably an asshole. I got you. Probably. Let's be honest. Um I did actually didn't want to go down this rabbit hole too far, but what I wanted Wait, to do I, is I, I, want... I, have, I have one more thing on this rabbit hole I wanted to mention is uh, you guys are doing your due diligence. You're talking about it from Brock Lesnar, the MMA perspective, but I want to talk about it in the pro wrestling perspective. Because... Stefan, your microphone has gotten whisper quiet. Shit. Uh, it's the same. Unless you're telling us a secret. Yeah, it just it went to shit. Okay, I'll show up later. Okay. <laughs> um, It'll be a podcast. That's technical difficulties. Exactly. Um, kids, uh, so we have um, – so I didn't want to – so when Stefan comes back, we'll talk more about it. But I'm not – we didn't really – I didn't really want to turn this into the pro wrestling podcast. But there's something going on right now that's worth mentioning is that the UFC's TV deal is coming to an end of the year. End of the year and actually so is uh, the WWF's or – WWF. I keep saying WWF. WWE's. And I care – an example of this would be – them going out there and trying to get Ronda Rousey and make themselves attractive to TV networks, especially in a uh, day, a time right now where I know WWE is not a fucking sport. So bear with me here where there's no other sports properties coming up for um, renewal TV wise for at least another three or four years minimum, I think. And the only thing that gets people to watch television at this point is live content. So, um, what you have here, and this is the way I'm trying to t- explain. So what we have here is, um, we're going to talk about the fight announcement we got this week, where they said um, that uh, Daniel Cormier is going to face Steve Miocic for the heavyweight title in July, and then um, they want to book Amanda Nunes versus. Um, help me out, guys. Cyborg. Cyborg. Sorry, Cyborg. They want to book those two champions, even though Cyborg's champion of. A weight class is just her. Um, they want to book those two champions on that same card. And number three, they want to book TJ Dillashaw versus uh, Demetrius Johnson on that card too for one of the belts in theory. Or hell, they're just going to fight. That's three tied. That's three champion versus champion fights in July. Um, you also got the story of the C- of uh, CM Punk is going to get another fight. You got the fact that they won't strip Conor McGregor. You got the fact that they got Nate Diaz saying he wants to fight again now. Um, also, Brock Lesnar's contract up in three months, so we're going to probably get another round of Brock playing WWE and UFC against each other. Um, Stefan, I'm going to go to you first on this, and hopefully your microphone holds up. If not, Mike, be prepared for your comment. Um, mm-hmm. we, re- we went through this same exercise kind of when the UFC was for sale where they kind of went all in with Nate Connor too, and then Connor fighting for another belt. 
and they brought Brock back, and they really kind of pushed all their chips in right before they went for sale to obviously boost the value of the company, and we all kind of suffered for it as fans, you know, the next year blue, at least the first half of it. The UFC, uh, is this, you know, are we all, are we going to get one big super card, and then we're all going to enjoy six months of MMA sucking afterwards again? Oh, no. Okay, Stefan's not there. So, I will answer the question. And I was actually going to posit that exact same question because when I was looking at this card, I saw, okay, so six of the UFC's champions are fighting on one night. In, in July. March, in July. In March, Rose is fighting um, Yoan again. So, that's one champion there. And if I'm on the same night, if I, if I'm correct, the interim slash maybe the actual lightweight championship is going to be that same day. Then after yeah. that, what other championships are left? The welterweight and the the middleweight championship. Middleweight That's championship also. We got Bobby Knuckles with Super Staff. And then we have what is the worst UFC card on paper I've ever seen for a main card happening in a few weeks. Um, so, so then what and that then, means... And we got a featherweight title. Get we got Frankie and um, Max next month, I think. So and what that means is that if we're going, let's say, no one, no, none of these champions that are fighting in July can fight for, let's say, three months or four months. That means that between basically March and let's say December, the only championship fights that there possibly could be are the. 125 champion, which who the hell is in that division? The women's one, you mean, right? Yeah. That one, the 170 and 185 champ. So, Stefan. So, to answer your question, it's going to be a lot of shit coming up soon. Stefan, it looks to, my, looks to me what we have created here is a gap between March and July where we really need Tyron Woodley to fight somebody. Do you think Tyron Woodley is aware how much the UFC needs him? And do you think he'll be using that to his advantage come negotiation time? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you set it up, and you're, you're spot on. It's just, it's like I said, going into this year, the story of last year, which, or sorry, 2016, I guess I should say, which was the story of 2017. I don't like the climate. Everyone's playing hardball. Everyone's trying to get their payday, but us as the fans kind of suffer. Um, and yeah, I was having a little uh, issues connecting back. Hopefully I sound better now. Um, Whatever you did is much better. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, like, I think your initial question before I cut out was like, you know, are we just setting up to have this big nothingness? It, it's possible, you know, Um I don't know what the UFC is doing. Like, there, CM Punk's gonna get another fight in there at some point, and you know I'm gonna tune into that shit. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, Marcus, I saw someone post a GIF, and a lot of MMA media retweeted this of a snake eating itself, and said, "This is the UFC right now." Um, I'm excited for the. Okay, let's be clear. Steve versus DC sounds like a really good time. Um, but. It seems like this push all the chips in strategy is just going to result in a lot of weak ass cards, right? Yeah, and I mean we're already kind of seeing that, and we already felt that last year too. And it doesn't seem like UFC is really correcting course. We're kind of spreading the wealth around a little bit better, so we have more consistent cards that we're interested in. Like, take example, the, this next week's card, we're not even going to make picks on because none of us are that vested in any of the fights. And 
even this card that happened last week. I mean, there was a, there was a decent spattering of you know name fighters that we were interested in, but not really enough to really motivate you know all of us to really tune in and you know digest what happened this past weekend. So we're already seeing the effects of that, and it seems like they're not learning from that mistake, or maybe to them it's not a mistake, and they like the numbers they saw last year, and they're motivated to go to that extreme even more so, which I think this three super fights in one event is because i mean i think all of us could agree to some extent at least for and may i just speak for myself here that that card is extremely interesting having all those fights in one card is really cool the problem is is just what you laid out when you kind of look at the bigger picture look at the landscape that they're creating around that is that we're gonna have you know we're still gonna have cards just about every week but we're gonna be missing a lot of those champions they're gonna charge the same amount for those other pay-per-views as they do for that super card too Probably. And it, and it seems silly because and, and you know who knows maybe they won't bob maybe they'll charge a little bit more I wouldn't be shocked if they did but I, I think really what it what it does is that they're already creating this kind of atmosphere where we have these little spikes where like oh Stipe and Nagano that's really cool the rest of the cards garbage the cards around it aren't very compelling and we we basically have these little peaks where it's like oh Luke uh you know Rockhold and Romero that's cool but that's a main event pay per view and the rest of it is not strong. So we have like these, it's really, it's kind of turning into boxing. And I think I made a joke with you, Bobby, and we talked about it in disgust when we first started going to events, how, you know, a lot of these stadiums would basically not be full until the main event. Cause you have a lot of these MMA fans that are just interested just in the, in the main event. And as you know, hardcore guys that we were back then, we're going to watch the first prelim fight. We're basically hunkering down in the stadium for a good five, six, seven hours to watch just MMA to think that there would be a fan who'd be willing to pay the prices that we were paying just to watch one fight kind of seemed ludicrous at the time, you know, eight, nine years removed. Now we're, I'm starting to become that fan, right? Like, yeah, I only care about the main event. And I remember we, Marcus, remember we used to like, we'd go and like eat a really big meal so we could withstand a seven hour card without having to rely on stadium food. Remember that shit? We're like, we'd go to like Texas, day Brazil in Vegas or something. And like, that was a thing. Like we like we got ready for a big card. Now, man, like I don't well, even uh, watch it. Just one next week is garbage. Yeah, and we we've talked about it in in multiple of our shows in the past. You know, that's what happens when you do like you know, almost two hundred shows. But it's just getting to the point where if I'm not compelled to to watch certain fighters go at it, I'm just not going to watch because it, MMA just doesn't have the appeal that it once did where it was kind of like i'll just i'll take anything i'll take king of the cage i'll take hd net fights on friday i just want to consume mma and at this point you know because ufc has put out so many events and over time i've gotten more accustomed to not watching every fight and then you know watching most of them but not all of them now it's just getting to the point where, like i'm only gonna watch the ones that i i have a vested interest in these fighters and i mean what kind of sucks about that is you know i'm not keeping up on the new talent so when the UFC even tries to push these new guys, I'm already, you know, I'm just not sold anymore because I haven't seen these guys come up. And, you know, you can have Joe and whoever yell about how great their acclimates are. But if I haven't seen those fights and I'm not emotionally invested in those fighters, I'm just, I see them on the fight card and it's just like every other name that doesn't have a Wikipedia page or it's just, you know, some foreign name that I, I, I can't, it looks familiar. I've probably seen these guys fight, but it doesn't stick in my head and, that's what it's coming down to is their product has I mean, weakened over the years. To Mark, the point you, where- you just, you're making a point here that is perfect because check this out. This card this weekend is Machida versus some kid named uh, Eric, Eric Anders. Anders. Right? Eric Anders. So they Eric Anders' last fight was on UFC Fresno, which, as we mentioned, Fresno is about three hours from us, ballpark, all right? 
which we, you and me talked about this. Um, and we're just like, is this worth going to? Is this worth driving three hours and driving back? And we looked at it and we're like, no, it's not. And then we really didn't watch almost any of it except to see a doubt. I think I only saw what uh, Brian Ortega did against yeah, Cubs. I saw highlights of the Ortega so fight. So apparently Eric Anders fought really well and had a really good performance, and he's a young cat. And then at the end of the night, after he won, they said, who do you want to fight? And he said, I'd love to fight Leota Machida. It'd be a great – I'd make it a great fight, and he's, you know, I love him and blah, 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 blah. And now they booked it, and that's the main event this Saturday. And I don't give a fuck. And that's as you pointed right there, man. Like, they didn't give me a reason to care the first time. They didn't give me a reason to watch or to go, let alone watch. Or let it to watch, let alone go. And here we are. And we have a main event I don't give a fuck about. Like, there should not, Mike, your opinion here, but there shouldn't be any UFC event where I could look at the card and be like, it makes no difference to any of any consequence to this pro, to the landscape of this sport or any title fights or any rankings if I watch this fight or watch this card at all. And, you know, you uh, mentioned earlier how uh, I think in uh, some of the blogs they were talking about a snake eating the tail. And if you don't know what the significance of them saying that was, is that that's actually what they were trying to get at is the Ouroboros, which is actually the representation of things coming full circle, which is a lot how we were two years ago with the U.S. That was UC 200 two years ago already? Mm, was that last yeah. year? It was wow. two years. It was a year, well, a year and a half ago. Time flies. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, we're, I think, in a lot of the same similar spots as we were then. Um, you know, we have one really, really big card to look forward to. Damn near five months from now. And, sadly, it's looking like a desolate wasteland between then and now. So, if you really enjoy MMA, well, try not to pay for it. Go see the UFC fight nights and see what's on Bellator. Because I don't think you're going to get many stacked cards from here and then. Oh, yeah. Where I'm supposed to, how am I supposed to, I mean, Stefan, Mike brought up Bellator. How, how am I going to take Bellator seriously if they're not going to air this shit live? <laughs> I mean, among other things, has Bellator's promotion gone down in the last year? Like, I don't feel like they advertise anything anywhere anymore. I don't even see these Dave and Buster's commercials anymore. Like, what happened to the promotion budget for Bellator? You would have thought with uh, Scott Coker on. They would have a much tighter ship, but it doesn't. No, nah, man, Scott Coker. Whenever you ask Scott Coker a question, he just says that's Paramount's decision. Why is Jimmy Smith gone, Scott? Paramount's decision. Why is Rory McDonald and uh, fucking Douglas Lima locked out the main event? That's Paramount's decision. Man, why are you there? I mean, I saw you mentioned Ariel. Speaking of Ariel, uh, when I was uh, catching a segment of him in the MMA Hour last week, when he talked to Rory and everything, and was talking about that Douglas Lima, this is the first time he said it, and I, I agree with him. Bellator can make the argument that they have the number one fighter in a weight class. Boom! Right there. Can immediately say that when it, when it was Eddie Alvarez, when it was Hector Lombard, when it you know Ben Askren to a lesser degree, we we just like to have fun and say they could hypothetically be the best. He has an argument for being the best because he handled Tyron Woodley. His fight with Tyron Woodley was not close. It was one sided as could be. It wasn't that long ago either. So the fact that Rory's not getting, you know, we thought like, hey, this that's probably the biggest signing Bellator ever had. But how little promotion it's gotten, how little buzz it's had outside of like the hardcore audience. Like, that's another thing that's just I, I'm worried about Bellator. You know, I always hated the uh, the time change or the time delay thing, but that's been at least consistent. But the fact that Rory is there 
you know, it wasn't a clean win, but it was a good fight. And it just, I think in all our eyes, legitimized Diego Lima. Um, but Douglas. the fact that I'm not, or Douglas Lima, sorry, uh, Diego's the worst brother. My apologies. Oh, poor Diego. Um, <laughs> well, we saw him in the UFC and that kid could not stop getting knocked out. Oh yeah. But, not um, a good chin. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, that said, it's just, yeah, Bellator, what are you doing? You, you got something on your hands here and I'm just not seeing it. So wanna, I just want to read you guys the UFC 221 main card. This is the part they want you to pay money for. Tell me when it gets objectionable to you. Main event, Yoel Romero, Luke Rockhold for a fake middleweight title. Mark Hunt versus Curtis Blades in the co-main event. No? That's not objectionable to you guys? Okay. Hey, Mark Ty, Ty Tuvasa versus Cyril Asker. There it is. <laughs> Jake Matthews versus Lee Jinglang. It's the third Tyson. Brothers. Tyson Pedro versus a guy without a Wikipedia page named Saperbeck Safarov. And in case you're wondering, they're saving the good shit for the prelims. No, they're not. They're just not. All right? They want you to pay for this. Do you know what's interesting? You know what? This wouldn't be a problem if, let's say, you lived in Singapore. Because if you lived in Singapore, it would only cost you twenty four ninety nine. I'm just saying, if you if you lived... In Singapore. Oh, good point. It would cost you twenty four ninety nine to watch a UFC pay per view, which is a really good rate if you live in Singapore or Hong Kong, I think too. Wink, 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 wink. Um, all right, kids. Um, we're gonna actually talk about some fights that fucking happened. Um, this past Saturday, from who gives a shit? The UFC held a card where the main event was Derek Brunson versus Jacare Souza. A rematch of a fight they had in Strike Force, in which Jacare straight blasted uh, Derek Brunson in the first matchup. Um, in their rematch, Mark, what happened? Well, unfortunately, I, I DVR'd it, and I had the best of intentions of watching this, but I was DVRing it, and I was like, "Well, I can just watch this later." Man, we just set it up so well for you too. <laughs> well, I mean, Bobby, so I'll, I'll pick it up where you left him. Bob, Mark, he straight blasted him again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's more or less what I heard. It was a nice head kick, which is a nice change. And then uh, some punches. So, I mean, I don't think any of us were too surprised. I mean, this definitely wasn't a fight where we were like, oh, yeah, you know, this is going to have – this potentially could have a much different outcome. We all picked Sousa to win. We all picked him to win the first time they all fought. Uh, they fought. And, you know, they uh, – uh, Brunson's gotten better, but he's also just gotten more wild and unpredictable. And I don't think that really makes you, you know, a better fighter when you come against a guy who's already beaten you. And he was, he was established himself as, you know, a very calm, collected guy that gets the wins when he needs them. And when you expect him to, that's just Souza. You know, he only loses the fights where you don't know if he's going to win it on the outcome. Like, it's going to be a tough fight. Can he win this? Sometimes he drops those fights. When it's the fights that you know he's going to win, it's what makes him such a great fighter. He wins those fights. He doesn't drop those fights. So the outcome wasn't surprising. At, at, I mean, I guess it was, point, it was cool that he finished them so quickly. You know, I, he doesn't get a lot of knockouts like that. You know, it also sucks. Derek wasn't looking bad. I thought Derek was looking fine. Like, everybody was just doing their thing. It was early in the fight. Dude got clipped with the head kick and was just on skates, and then he got – and then, you know, it was just over. Yeah, um, I didn't see him, so I can't really yeah. – talk to me about Bobby no, Green, then I can give you some analysis. Oh, yeah, we'll get you to Bobby Green. Don't worry. Um, Jacare out there getting W's, Derek Brunson losing. I guess this fight card was in uh, North Carolina, which I think is where Derek Brunson's actually from. So that kind of uh, that kind of blows for the gentleman to lose in front of all of his folks, you know, friends and family and shit. Um, co-main event, Andre Feely, Dennis Bermudez. Um, it was a split. Um, though the one who gave it to Bermudez really fucked up his card. 
Um, some people, it seems like people slightly lean towards Bermudez. Um, and I want to be very clear when I say this, the words I'm using here. It doesn't matter if Dennis Bermudez beat Dennis, beat Andre Feely by split decision or Andre Feely beat Dennis Bermudez by split decision because it's it nothing about this fight you can, we're going to come out of it and think anything differently of Dennis Bermudez at all based on how the performance went to be honest um he went out there let himself get taken down by Andre Feely I was impressed that Andre Feely was able to do that um, but we all kind of know what Andre Feely is. Um, more of an action fighter. He'll beat your guys around, you know, maybe 10 to 15 area, maybe. But he's not going to, you know, contend for any title. And Benis Ramirez is just, he's going to go out there and fight like an idiot sometimes and below his abilities. So ultimately, it doesn't, I mean, it affects their lives. They get a double check or not. But to me as a fan... Doesn't matter. Like I didn't learn it. I learned. I didn't really. I got the same thing out of it. Whether you're gonna call it a W for Bermudas or not, um, man's just not. Maybe that was his potential, huh, Steph? Maybe we're done. I mean, that's that's what I got out of it. He's not the prospect I thought he was. Um, the the tools are all there, which you know it it precludes you from thinking that if he if he makes a run one of these days, you, it's not gonna come out of nowhere, you know. But at the same time. He's he's lost enough fights in a manner which, yeah, maybe we have seen the best he has to offer. He's a bad or shot fighter so much as he's just a back end guy. He's not quite uh, championship material or at least contender material. Um, we also had stuff. All the tools except it seems uh, the brain. The brain to put it all together. Yeah, I was trying yeah. to find a nicer word, but that works. Well, he he talks about being an idiot himself. Wasn't he the one on tough? That like his girlfriend told him he was pregnant, she was pregnant, and then like, I don't think Dennis, just, De- no, Dennis Bermudez is the living Kanye West lyric when uh, when the kid turned eighteen, find out it wasn't his. Like, is that really? Him? I mean, I it is, if it was him or not? Well, I think in this case, the kid came out and the kid was black. Wasn't that the thing or something? It was some shit. It was like a I know it was something, something like that. Like that because I was out. No, with no. Friend, I was out with a friend on Saturday, and when that fight came on. I straight up told him that story. Hey, so this guy over here, his girlfriend had a kid, said it was his, but it turned out not to be his. Let's watch this fight. <laughs> that was how we sell the man. Great. Um, you guys can relate to this, right? Yeah. Um, oh. Stefan oh, Stefan okay. pointed out we got to start paying attention to Gregor Gillespie, possibly. He's right. Gregor Gillespie uh, beat the crap out of Jordan Rinaldi. Really nice to see a guy utilize good ground and pound and – Trying to work towards advantageous possessions. Just, I was impressed with that. Gregor Gillespie is the one who, I think it was after his last fight, said, I'm the best fisherman in the UFC. That's what he said in his post-fight interview, which is a hell of a thing to strive for. I mean, so that's nice. Um, I wasn't paying attention. When I give my analysis of this fight card, please know I was also watching NXT and playing Mario at the same time. You know, that's how dedicated I was to this shit at the time. Um, but it's okay because Marcus is here to tell us how our guy Bobby Green, I say our guy, I'm the idiot who picked against him, but our guy Bobby Green had his best performance of his career and probably whenever since whenever he fought Josh Thompson, right, Marcus? Yeah, no, I mean, he had a really good fight here, and uh, it was competitive, and, you know, Bobby kind of had to dig himself out of, of a tough first round. Um, but he, he laid the groundwork early that ultimately paid off in the second and third round, and it, it was a fun uh, fight to watch because... Um, you know, we've seen Eric Koch uh, 
fight a lot, and we know he's a he's a great stand up talent. And we, we know Bobby's, uh, you know, he likes to stand and bang with guys, but he has a style and a, a, specifically a defensive style that I don't really think does very well with judges, but he's adapted to it very well where he's able to use uh, shoulder and head movement to basically negate a lot of the power off the punches that these guys are throwing at him. He does ultimately get hit quite a, quite a bit in these fights. But um, if, if you know, I mean, it, it's really a masterful boxing technique where if you're moving your head when you're getting hit, the impact of the punch is lessened greatly. And it's something that 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 we've seen Bobby utilize in a lot of his fights. I don't really think it does a great job selling judges because you are getting hit. And even though you're moving with the punch and you're negating a lot of the power, if, if a judge isn't really attuned to the nuances of, you know, how punches affect you and how to score them effectively, you could ultimately just see a guy getting hit a lot, right? Um, but what Bobby did here in, in this first round that was really interesting that is that he went to the body in the clinch with some, you know, not super flashy knees, but tight, solid knees. And I think one of the telling moments in this fight was Eric uh, Cook was able to take him down in the first round, got Bobby Green's back and was going for chokes. And I think Eric, there's a couple things that kind of drained his stamina. And I think one of them was the knees in the clinch that I mentioned earlier. But I think it was also this position where he had his back. He was fighting for the, um, the rear naked choke, went for a couple attempts. Bobby Green was able to, uh, you know, defend himself and get standing back up. And you saw it in the end of the first round where uh, Coke lost a lot of energy. He seemed very flat-footed after the grappling exchange. And you can tell Bobby didn't feel that. There is a certain type of strain you put on your muscles when you're striking with someone. And there's a completely different kind of strain when you're grappling with somebody. And when you have someone that's mainly from a striking background going into MMA and using, and, uh, and using grappling in a match... It can really wear them out. It's something that Boss Rutan has talked about. It's something that we kind of saw in the, the Nagano fight is that it's a different kind of tank of stamina that you have. And it seemed like at towards the end of that first round, Eric Koch really spent a lot of energy um, grappling him, having top uh, position, maybe overexerting himself, trying to get that choke. And then ultimately we saw in the second and third round was Bobby, again, using the head movement, changing stances to throw Koch off. And you can tell that Koch as a left-handed fighter He's really proficient fighting uh, orthodox fighters. He knows how to use the lead left and the uh, the back leg kick to go to the body, go to the head, start with straight punches. When Bobby changed his stance, it threw Eric Koch off, and it, it had made him hesitate. And what Bobby was able to do was get the output going. And then, again, when they clinched, dominating the clinch with better position and throwing really tight knees that just con continually to drain Eric Koch. And basically that's it. And Bobby repeated that um, that strategy into the third round and then really capitalized the third round and the fight by taking Eric Coat down, which is one of the things that we thought, you know, analyzing this fight, Bobby's a much better wrestler. If he takes this fight to the ground, he's going to have a lot of advantages there. And it wasn't until Eric was really tired, really didn't have a lot left in the tank that he took him down and he went for some really solid ground and pound. I think really solidifying the match, you know, really selling himself to the crowd and to himself that, you know, he won that fight, even though he had a, you know, a tough first round where Eric was very competitive, got some good shots on him, took him down, got his back. You saw the momentum shift in that uh, first round. And I think a lot of it had to do with the, with the strategy and the mindset that, you know, I'm not going to go out there and blast this guy in the first round. I'm going to lay the groundwork early on by tiring this guy out, hitting him to the body, continuing to hit him in the body in the second round, and then really pour it on. It's a smart strategy. It's something that we haven't seen him utilize, you know, super well, but it kind of shows you what this guy's skill set is. And, you know, even though he's not really a stand-up fighter, he has a lot of tools to negate taking damage, to tire guys out. And it just it showed a lot of potential that we've seen in Bobby before. but. 
he kind of lapsed a little bit in his last couple fights. And even in this fight, the way he approaches where he's basically losing around, it, it's not great because we've seen it against like Edwin Barboza. He wasn't able to get the second and third rounds. You know, he kind of started from behind. and wasn't able to get back up. Um, but we saw it in the Lando fight. You know, this guy has a lot of heart and it seems like his strategy is kind of playing the long game, get you tired and really go after you hard in the third. That's what we saw in the Lando fight, right? He took that third round from him because he laid the groundwork early on. So, I mean, overall still impressed with Bobby green, great performance, a big win that he needed. Um, but it's an interesting strategy, and it'll be interesting to see that if he's able to elevate his game where he can implement the strategy uh, per, uh, you know, more proficiently in his next couple of fights and just be a little more, you know, maybe get the finishes, right? Pour it on quicker and faster. Push the pace a little bit faster on these guys and see if you can break them. But a uh, good performance. And, you know, yeah, he, he, he just needed it, man. It was great to see him get a W, quite frankly. The man needed it. Um, Stefan. Did you catch Mursad Bektik reel back and just nail Godofredo Pepe with that body punch? Yeah, and uh, why I liked it is I don't think it was like a, a liver punch. I've seen it like – I forget who did it. I think Anderson. I think it's when Anderson did it against um, – sorry, uh, Stefan Bonner. Bonner, where it's just – it's straight to the solar plexus, and it just takes all the air out of you. It's like your lung collapses on that hit. It's it's not quite the kidney shot. It's not the liver shot down. It's just when the life goes out of you straight in the chest. Uh, I remember playing football and just getting a helmet tackle, like speared right in the gut. And that's something fierce. Cause like, but Bechtick just loaded up, just straight shotted uh, Pepe in the, basically in, in the heart of the, of the stomach more or less. And that man collapsed. That was beautiful. Um, you know, you like that expression, snatching, uh, what is it? Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And, yeah. uh, that, that's what he did against Darren Elkins. You know, uh, yeah. he, he was whooping that ass and then he just gassed out. But, um, this is, this is a good fight to get Bechtick back on track. Cause you know, we were saying, uh, Gregor Gillespie is someone to watch out for. Bechtick has occupied that space. Of course, he just lost, uh, that fight against Elkins, which kind of, that's his only loss is my understanding. But, um, it was nice. You saw uh, uh, Faraz as a hobby with like a cheeky little smile after. Yeah, he, he's, him. he's like he's moved I his. Know, I I know I got a good one here. Yeah, he moved his camp full time to TriStar, which is great to see. Um, before I put a bow on this thing, Mike, did you catch anything of this at all? By the way, no, I didn't. I, all I caught was the uh, Dennis Bermudez fight. That I was... would have watched the Jacare fight, but my uh, phone's feed just went out. Right before the moment that uh, this dude got domed, man, Jacare had the slowest walkout of anybody I've ever seen in my fucking life. Did anybody else catch Jacare waddling slowly, ever so slow? Like it was like fifteen minutes. It felt like of Jacare waving to everybody. Hello, I'm Jacare. Welcome to the UFC fights. Thank you for visiting us, uh, Bobby. Any alligator claps in that walk down? <laughs> There were one or two. I, honestly, I stopped. I stopped watching it because I was also watching NXT. I'm like, well, I got about ten minutes at the pace this motherfucker's moving. Fine. Well, I was um, in a, I was in an Uber ride, uh, watching the the walkout, and yeah, he he gave like two or three of them. Oh yeah, and, just, uh, just... Know, all, all I thought was, you know, he's Jacare. It's Brazilian for what, alligator. So uh, he's just yeah, moving, Mark. He's moving very methodical, like an alligator through the crowd. M Marcus has done alligator claps with Jacare before years ago, right, Marcus? Yeah, yeah, he showed me how to do it. Yeah, he showed you, you know, you, you, yours sucked. 
Yours yeah, mine was like straight. Like, it was untrained. You were going like you were like going straight up. Oh no. Um, good job. Bobby's right. I didn't do it well. We can move on. Please, yeah, sorry. Knows how to do the alligator salute? And I knocked my headphones out. Headphones yeah. Um. All right. Let's do. Um. We're not picking this fight card because again, it is garbage. Um. Like I don't even like. Again, I really like Leota Machida, and I'm happy to watch his style. But fuck you with this card. Like, fuck you times a million. I mean, it's Am my I... understanding that Eric Anders is part Filipino, and I can't even get behind this. Um, that's, that's, that says enough. I mean, I love Valentina Shevchenko. She's an excellent fighter. But why the f- what is this card, man? Like, come on, man. Is this card in Brazil? It? I think this is yeah. like get a bunch of Brazil contracts like off the I mean, books is what this card if is. Val- if they're trying to get Valentina a win so that she can get a title shot at 125, what's the point if nobody watches it? Why don't you just give her the fucking title shot? Like what? what's the point of doing this? If I turn on my TV and Tim Means is fighting Sergio Moraes, okay. Yeah. I mean, Besides be- that... To be fair, there's there's names sprinkled throughout the card. It's just not enough, you know. It, it, it's, the names aren't big enough, and the guys they're getting, you know, matched up with. That, aren't and also, the day before day before the Super Bowl, that used to be it used to be huge. super pay per view time. It used to be yeah. super pay per view, man. What happened? You yeah. know, we went to we went to a, a day before the Super Bowl card. We all made money. Anderson now, Silva front kick Vitor in the face. Now let me pose this question to you guys, as we talked about earlier in the podcast. The Fox deal is running out, and Ronda, granted, um, it's WWE now, but Ronda talks for Mona Shelburne of ESPN. Is it possible? Ronda always talks ESPN. Is it possible? Is it possible that they know that, um, you know, they're not gonna stay with Fox, so they're kind of just giving them shit, like a lot of shit. I don't know. I'm thinking there's a real possibility because there's a lot of rumors that WWE is going to end up on Fox, which is weird. Um, USA Network is owned by NBC, and you know, if they get an if they end up on NBC, end up on you know USA Network with the smaller cards, I wouldn't be that surprised either, to be honest. Man, how how weird would that be if WWE isn't on USA? It's been on there as long as I've been alive. There was a short span where they were on Spike TV when Spike TV was called uh, Day Law. Okay, a little bit of television history for you. Before the Paramount Network, now the Paramount Network was Spike TV. Before Spike TV, it was called the National Network. And before it was the National Network, it was the Nashville Network. In between, they launched the National Network. It became the National Network when they paid a buttload of money to get Monday Night Raw when it was at its peak. That's how the transition started from being basically country music television. So, but yeah, it's pretty much been on USA, I think. I mean, they just did 25 years of it. I want to say 20 of those years easily, probably more. So we'll see what they end up. I mean, they're going all in. And a lot of this is the result of the UFC carrying a lot of bad debt and a lot of questionable loans. Uh, they, they got a, a lot of their loans were deemed very risky. And here we are. So... Conor McGregor has him over by the bar- over the barrel as usual. Him and Nate are about to make so much money. Watch them book that shit for May. There's your Memorial Day card, folks. There's your headliner, Nate and Conor. There's no belt needed. Fuck it. They'll fight each other. What are you talking about? It's for the lightweight belt, the undisputed lightweight belt, which There's Tony two undisputed. will also have. 
<laughs> two of them. <laughs> Intercontinental title, man. I'm telling you. Except at light heavyweight, it's going to be the European title for Alex Gander Gustafson. See, one of them is the UFC lightweight champion. The other one is the lightweight UFC champion. You don't understand. No, well, different. Remember, they used to do WWF champion and world heavyweight champion. It's going to be UFC lightweight champion and world lightweight champion, right? Hey, whatever needs yeah. to get done, man. I mean, we yeah, need okay. Results. Let's do memoirs of a fight fan. Uh, Stefan, this was your idea. Why don't you lay the premise out for the folks? Um, yeah, it's it really was spurned off of it. I I just had an idea of what I wanted to talk about, and it just kind of led me to like it, it's kind of a interesting segue considering we talked about um, how we're we're not as hardcore as we used to be, right? We've kind of uh, turned more casual over the last few uh, or year or so, I guess. Just because we're not as interested, we're not as captivated, we're willing to miss fights. But once upon a time, we caught everything we saw. We would watch the entire cards, and we consumed so much content outside of just the cards. We couldn't get enough of MMA. You know, over the years, there have been a lot of really great, humorous, hilarious even moments that didn't even necessarily have to do with anything about the fights. But it's honestly, honestly why we came to love this sport is because you realize there's a lot of personalities in it. And there's just a lot of random shit that happens. So um, our memoirs, what stands out to us as some of the funniest moments in the world of MMA, not even anything to do with it. It could be something that happened in a fight. It doesn't have to be something that had in a fight. But um, I wanted to kick it off by talking about, to this day, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in MMA. And it just, by just random chance, it seemed like. Uh, we were living together at the time. This is, uh, I believe, the fight UFC Fight Pass. It had maybe been out like a year or so. It's one of those things. I think us as consumers and the UFC, we didn't totally know what Fight Pass exactly was going to be, besides showing the occasional card every now and then. You know, uh, I think Mark will be the first to tell you the Pancrase Library has been incredibly lacking for more and more content to come. But uh, randomly, they added footage from like the old old ufcs like weren't aired on tv if you had the cable descrambler box like my you know dad did back in the day you wouldn't have seen it but there were these dark matches and apparently it was like big john big john mccarthy that is his first match like refereeing in the uh ufc and the most ridiculous thing happened i couldn't tell you the name of the two guys fighting all i could tell you is that one of the guy's pants kept falling off and by kept falling off i mean at least 12 to 15 times like he'd be on top of this dude in early mma before there's like proper guard technique he was laying on top of this dude and just progressively through this match this large man first you got a plumber crack their ass and god bless john mccarthy's heart he spent that whole match just pulling this man's shorts up like big john being a total professional about it you know consummate professional reminds me of the uh lawyer from arrested development was the one thing that he is he's a professional above all else but yeah, this man is just so much bare fat ass. And this is early UFC where it is not peak athletes. It's a random fat guy who's like, I'm tough, you know. But man, Big John, I've never seen a man pull up another man's pants so frequently in a live sporting event. It was amazing. I was captivated. Me and Mark could not stop watching. It was hilarious. I got, I mean, this, this is not going to be one for it. We're going to have a, more than one for all of us. Let's be honest. I want to do one just so I can get Mike's GSP uh, accent. Back when uh, GSP and Koscheck coached Coach Tough, uh, 
And then GSP wanted uh, wanted Michael Johnson, but he didn't have first pick. And Josh Kostrak did. So GSP came out with his list of fighters that he wanted. And he put Michael Johnson second. And number one, he wrote Mark Stevens in really big letters. And he kept kind of showing his paper towards Kostrak. And then Dana White said, hey, man, cover your shit up. And what did GSP say, Mike? It is a tra- it is a strategy. Oh my god, that was the funniest shit ever. I got a lot of GSP ones. There was a time on Tough where Shoney Carter visited. This is Tough Four, I think. And Shoney Carter, Shoney Carter was on the, was on the show. GSP was a guest coach, and Shoney Carter taught GSP how to walk like a pimp. That was another good one. And then I got one where this sticks out because I don't know what the scenario was where me, Mark, and Stefan were watching this. But it was a Bellator card with Eric Prindle and Tiago Santos. And their first fight was a like was a no contest because of a groin strike. And then they fight again. And in the first round, this one dude reels back and kicks the other one right in the dick. And I remember the three of us were just like, we couldn't stop laughing about how blatant of a groin strike it was. I'm not sure if you guys remember that at all, but we like it was like five minutes of just us laughing at it just of how blatant it was um there's a ton of moments like this um uh why don't you uh mark give us one of yours yeah it's kind of there's been so many funny things in and outside of fights but none of them really leapt to mind and and the only one that kind of did and it's probably because we were talking about um our favorite uh mma movies or action movies and uh this has to do with uh you know pride of course because if i'm all my memoirs are about pride. It's the only thing I remember. Uh, but it had to do with the, the Grand Prix. And when Mark Coleman, you know, he had a tough run in that Grand Prix. But the the toughest opponent he faced were the ring ropes. Because once he, he won the tournament, he tried to jump over the ring ropes. And he fell so awkwardly. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't tell if it was on purpose at first. But then he tried to go in between the ropes and he couldn't. He just had the hardest fucking time getting out of that ring. And it was it was just it was funny because it was such I mean, this moment of just great levity, like where this guy's career is just turned around from the blink of destruction. You know, he was in a, a bad spot um, going into Pride where, you know, a lot of people have kind of written him off. And to go on this tournament and we beat all these guys and beat Bochanchin with these fucking killer north south knees. And then, you know, this ag- agulation he felt when he won. And then just that he's trying to jump over the goddamn ring and he could not do it. It was it was very funny. It was very warm. And it was one of those funny things that's like y- you love the guy and you feel for him. And it's just like one of those silly things that happens. Um, guys, he's, like, he's like, I've seen I've seen Macho Man jump to the top ropes real easy. I can do that. Oh, fuck. It was, yeah, so it, was just, it was weird and awkward, but funny and still loving at the same time. And there's probably there's probably a bunch of interviews we can all you know, chime back to and stuff like that. But that was just the one thing that kind of popped in my head. I don't know why. Um, Mike, you want to give us one before we start? Just keep going round and round. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to just give you two two quick ones. Uh, one of them is that I always love when someone gets their comeuppance, especially when they're being cocky in the ring. So I particularly enjoyed when the then light heavyweight champion Rashad Evans was fighting Lyoto Machida. Oh, no. And- Lyoto Machida, I think, plugged him one time, and Rashad wanted to act like that shit didn't hurt. And I think I think he rubbed on his balls a bit, and then he got promptly knocked the fuck out. That was a good one. Before and- you go to your next one, 
Stefan, we were watching oh, that together. Oh, what was I doing? <laughs> oh, you know, Bob, this is where the legend for me started of Bobby can't call fights. Uh, well, I, I'd also bet on Rashad. <laughs> I'd bet money on like, I bet like a quarter on it with you right before is a problem. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I remember we were watching this at a bar with Drew, um, and this was the this was the legend of uh, Bobby can't call fights. Because as I recall, this was Bobby's call on that fight. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Stanky leg. <laughs> Three fines, three he's fine, followed by Rashad, the meme that he never lived down, just going cross-eyed, eyes rolled back, leg behind him. Uh, that, that was a good one. That was definitely Mike, good. Mike, give us another one. Yeah, that was not a good moment uh, for me. The, the other one, I just want to say, bear in mind, in that moment, in that particular moment, it was funny. What happened later tempered down the funniness about it. Dada 5000 versus Kimbo Slice. <laughs> Mike, you texted me, yo, this dude fell over like a big oak tree. And I was dying. I was sitting in, I was in the kitchen cooking, watching this thing. And I started, I had to sit down. I was laughing so hard at this dude tipped over, went down like a big oak tree. Um, I also thought it was really funny when you texted me. I have a lot of ones where a guy loses and Mike enjoys it and he texts me. Like when King Mo got knocked out by uh, Manny Newton the first time. Or the only time, I guess, the first fight. And Mike's just like, the text. The first text was just the word yo with like seven O's. And then afterwards it was like, King Mo got knocked the fuck out. Like it was, that, was um, pretty, that was a pretty funny knockout. Do you know, if you guys want true comedy, you try to find the time they made TJ Dillashaw and Dominic Cruz sit in the same room and talk to each other, in which we, by the end of it, I felt bad for TJ Dillashaw because he'd been, like, chopped up and barbecued by Dominic Cruz nine ways from Sunday. Well, you can't be done talking with me. We're we're here in the same room doing an interview, dummy. Dude, at some point while he was hurt, Dominic Cruz turned into a goddamn wordsmith because I remember when he said, TJ Dillashaw says he's hungrier than me. You can't even measure that, so that's just an ignorant thing to say. Everything that came out of Dominic Cruz's mouth and shit talking is wonderful to me. Um, I got a couple of quick things. Like- I just want to throw out a couple more. One I got to talk about in depth a little bit because um, after the Big John thing, it's my it's my favorite thing MMA story wise. Uh, but shout outs to um, his name. Ah, you know, uh, or was it? What's his? You guys know who I'm talking about. He just got into a spat with Bisping. Why am I blanking on his name? Masvidal. Luke? Oh, Masvidal. Masvidal, okay. Yeah, Masvidal. Oh, shit, uh, yeah. Masvidal hiding from his coaches because he wanted to play Call of Duty. Uh, that was some of the greatest training camp footage ever. Um, but shout-outs to, because I know uh, Mark and Bob definitely like this. Mike, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, because um, this was outside the, the UFC before they were there. It's an old Fight Magazine uh, interview with Gilbert Melendez. And Gilbert, you know, we're, we're Diaz fans. We're fans of the Scrap Pack, the Bay Area guys. Um, it was the story of how Gilbert Melendez became friends with Jake Shields. Is uh, They're talking about going to SF State together. And Gilbert's like, so Jake Shields comes up to me. And I think it's, you know, it's like, oh, he, he heard about me as a wrestler. He knows I fight, too. He wants to talk to me. And Jake Shields comes up to me and says, hey, I hear you like to party. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, that is, Jake Shields doesn't care about wrestling. He doesn't care about <laughs> boxing. Yeah, he's like, oh, this kid likes to party. I want to hang out with this kid. And then uh, Gilbert's talking about when he met his uh, now wife, Carrie, 
but how Carrie was real hesitant to date him at first. Like, she's like, oh, why you won't go out with me? Because I'm a wrestler? Because I'm an athlete? You don't like messing with that? I was like, like, no. I heard you hang out with Jake Shields. <laughs> yeah. He had a bad reputation from hanging out to – again, we've talked about this a million times. The fact that Jake Shields' image in MMA is just as the boring fighter and the people who know anything about, like, his side life on any level here is amazing to me. <laughs> it's – Yeah. Jake Shields gets dropped off to practice by a different attractive Asian woman d- every day. It's Jake Shields' life, folks, out there slaying. Hey, who is a who is the guy that in a fight, uh, Randy Couture had him in such an awkward and dominant position? Randy Couture just proceeded to start just patting him on the butt. That was Mr. Ortiz. That was Tito Ortiz. <laughs> that would, that uh, that didn't go so well for Tito. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I mean, you just you got some classics. I mean, you know, so yeah, MMA, some entertainment, guys. Oh, a lot of jokes. You also, can't forget um, Frank Trigg getting a uh, rear naked choked after saying, "Man, only a white belt gets rear naked choked." <laughs> that was not good. Uh, and you know, honestly, everything that comes out of GSP's mouth was fear comedy for me. While I mean, in retrospect, and even at the time, I'm not impressed with your performance was hilarious and a slight dig still at the same time. So um let's also not forget all right. that, um Nick Diaz teaching us that they're selling us wolf tickets. Oh, I mean we can also can't forget him talking about like, man, you know, you're out in the dork playing touch butt with you're you're out in the park <laughs> with this dork playing touch butt. That's just never going away. Um Okay. The other thing about the wolf tickets was uh when was it? I think it was after the, the Anderson Silva fight when Nick Diaz was in the hearings that uh. real time during that hearing when he was just getting screwed, someone just comes up with a meme that had Nick Diaz's face where it just says, that moment when you realize these selling you wolf tickets. <laughs> Nick Diaz tried to play. They tried to plead the fifth. Man, I seen the Chappelle show. Didn't work out for him, folks. Um, all right. Let's do... um. Let's do stuff we like. Um, I'll actually um, lead this off because fuck it. I've been the one talking about wrestling anyway. Um, NXT, as I mentioned, is that promotion, this lesser promotion, I guess, of the WWFs, um, which they, you know, mostly it's for hardcore fans and some developmental stuff's going on too, where I mentioned Shayna Baszler was on there. They put on um, Really an excellent card, which was highlighted by just a couple performances, um, which a um, gentleman named uh, Alistar Black, who is a Dutch kickboxer by trade, became a, a wrestler, um, took on another gentleman named Adam Cole in a, um, a Extreme Rules match. It was really just a match where they can hit each other with chairs and shit like that. Um, Steph, I don't know if you saw this, but I'd never seen a man put uh, – seen chairs put – Back to back to each other, while like you know propped up, if that makes sense. And then a guy got dropped on it. I mean, like, yeah, it's, was, it's just it's it's really dangerous, is why I've looked, never seen I, anything like that. Yeah, um, that was incredible. Reason, that was such a bump. I mean, it's the thing is like with chairs, with the tables, you go with a wide flat surface area. It's gonna hurt, but that wide area spreads the impact, and it also gives yeah. it a weak point in the middle. But by putting the chairs back to back like that. You're making the strong point the center. So yeah, uh, yeah just the I, I saw that I saw that uh, that that bump they did and how dangerous that 
that is for your spine. I mean, props for them for going there. And uh, Adam Cole, I believe, is his name. Uh, Adam Will- Cole. It's Adam Cole, baby. If if we're being true, yeah, I, but yeah, I didn't know. Is, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know. I don't know who these shock the system guys are, but they got really big pops. Um, I think they came yeah. from Ring of Honor. Is my understanding? Yeah, like um, they're. Uh, oh yeah, they're a bunch. Of, that's what NXT is at this point. And then um, that was a really enjoyable match. Uh, Shayna Baszler really acquitted herself well in her performance. There's a gentleman named Belveteen Dream. I'm sure I've talked about before. And um, Mark and Stefan saw him live also. He's basically playing Prince. Um, he's 23 years old, and I've never seen somebody this gifted at such a young age. He's incredible. I, he's so good. I'm paying attention to this kid because Mark and I saw the beginning of him when he wasn't the Velveteen Dream yet, when he was just a guy who had his own face spray-painted onto his pants. And then mm-hmm. even when he started the Velveteen Dream gimmick at that um, – when we went to uh, that house show for NXT mm. and like people started chanting purple rain, he wasn't the Velveteen dream yet. He didn't have a name yet. He just decided he was going to start going down this road. So we've really seen like the birth of this whole gimmick go on. Uh, and I like it. And I love how the crowd is really behind him. Oh my God. They love him. It's incredible. And um, just to end what we're talking about here, um, Andrade Cien Almas, um, who was the second most popular luchador in history um it's very clearly second because a gentleman named el santo was such a popular luchador in mexico that he used to act in movies while still wearing his mask and not playing himself he'd play other people wearing a fucking mask that's the baseline anyway andrade cien almas and uh johnny gargano had maybe the greatest wrestling match i've ever seen in my life that was fucking incredible um and again those of you aren't wrestling fans are like what makes it great just, you're telling a story, man. And I got, like, I, like, I was totally, like, in. Like, I was, like, I was going, ooh, at all the two counts. I fucking, I was all in. Um, Johnny Gargano is maybe, like, the best pure baby face I've seen in a very long time. He's such an underdog. I totally bought it. Um, It was, again, maybe the greatest match I've ever seen in my life. And these shows are always good, man. These NXT shows are always good. They don't let me down. Um, they have three months to prepare for four matches, so you know, not as, you know, not as easy as, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to do than the WWF running, you know, five hours of television every week. So, in fairness to them, but I fucking love the show. Um, Steph, um, did you see that match? And if you didn't, well, just give me your stuff you liked this week. Um, I did see it, and it was good. I saw the end, uh, and the end made me wonder. I'm like, yeah, where's Tommaso Ciampa? What happened to that guy? I didn't see the whole split. It's one of those things. Every tag team eventually splits to feud with each other. <laughs> They're in that phase of their uh, career, I guess. Um, my yeah. stuff I like. Uh, this applies to Mark as well. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about the same two things. But uh, I know this video games are Mark's territory, but I pulled the rare doubleheader with video games. I bought Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Um, I haven't dug in super deep into that, but I'm really enjoying it. But I want to talk about Monster Hunter World because um, it is the most in love I've been with a video long time. Um, it's I'll say one immediately. It's not for everyone. Um, Bob, I know you have a PS4. I don't think you would have. I don't. I don't see you being the type to. It's the. It's a very un forgiving game it's a very steep learning curve and it it requires a lot of investment um it's not really a casual jump in and play you're very true well put my friend you know me well (laughs) 
it, the thing is, it's one of those things. It, it's stuff I like. It's something like you know Game of Thrones, where the barrier to entry can be pretty steep, but if you get over that hump, it is so rewarding. Um, just the ecosystem that this game has is incredible. It, it's kind of revolves around the premise of hunting monsters that live in these various like jungle terrain, swamp terrain, like uh, wasteland desert terrains. And the, they have like a path, you know, they have behaviors, you know, some of them will be very hostile and territorial. Some of them will go to sleep. And then there's other big monsters and some of them will fight. Like if this T-Rex wanders into this dragon's like egg nest and messes with the eggs, that mama dragon's going to come defend them, you know? It's I just it's these really cool things and it's just so deep and so layered. Um, I, I invite Mark to you know comment wherever he wants, but like whether it's building armor sets and then you find there's these little nuances where the more you hunt an animal or the more you capture them, you learn about what their weaknesses are, where they're known to locate. Like it'll tell you where is an advantageous area to battle the animal. Because, okay, they're weak against water, so when they're by the lake, you know, that's where you want to fight them, because they'll be vulnerable. It's it's just so in-depth. And the fact that this game is doing something, and it's bucking the trends of... It has no microtransactions. It's a complete game on its own, and that's just a rarity nowadays. Again, yeah, um, I'll chime in, too, because I was going to, you know... Obviously, I knew you were going to talk about it, because, um, I mean, one of the things that I think is so fun about the game and everything that Steph said is completely accurate. You know, how they've kind of built this world and how the monsters that you're hunting live in this environment with each other and they fight each other. And um, two of the things that really make it, you know, such a fun game is, is the moment to moment gameplay. And like Steph did mention, you know, there is a lot of systems in the background. There's lots of nuances to crafting. And a lot of that you can, at least for me, I've kind of just left by the wayside. I'm not dealing too much with that. There's, main things that you can focus on that are pretty straightforward and easy to follow but i think really makes the game shine is when you're out there actually you know combating these monsters and just the moments of where you're looking at your environment and it's like oh these these plants here i could cut and they'll create this big poison pool why don't i do that and i'll try to lure the monster in here or there's this toad that i can kick and if i kick him then he'll release this cloud of uh, shock or something that'll shock the monster. So you're using your environment, you're using your your skills and the basically the weapon that you're using. But I think what also makes it really fun and why I think it, it has a lot of legs, at least with me and Steph, is that we can play online. And, you know, you have to give the caveat that it was incredibly confusing and frustrating just to figure out how me and Steph and uh, my girlfriend's brother and close friend Sean and, and their friend, our friend Chris, could all get in one game together. It was so confusing trying to figure like, are we in, okay, we're in the same lobby, but we can't see each other. It was, it took a while to kind of figure that out. But once you did and we're playing games together and we're hunting together, that's when the moment to moment gameplay really shines when it was like, oh shit, like I just barely, I jumped off this giant cliff to, to miss him attacking me, but he got Sean or, you know, it's just like in the moment, there's all these little things happening that just makes it so compelling and you need that because there's a loop in this game where you're basically hunting the monsters. When you kill them, you gather their, you know, their drops. You use those drops to create loot that basically, um, you know, you can get pieces of the monster to create armor and to create uh, weapons. And what makes the loop so satisfying is not just that the moment-to-moment gameplay is so fun. You're getting this reward that you're using the craft, and the things that you craft look exactly like the monster. So you're basically wearing trophies of like, oh yeah, I have the full armor set of this one giant T-Rex. 
And when other people see you, it's like, oh yeah, I know that monster. I fought that. And it's kind of just, it's kind of like wearing achievements on your character. Basically saying like, yeah, I put in the time. I beat this guy a shit ton of times to get all the pieces I need to build this armor set. And that loop continues. As you continue to go in the game, you find new monsters. They have different drops that give you different armor and different weapons. And it's that loop that can be really kind of complex. And what I thought would be the most intimidating, like if I don't get interested in that loop of hunt this monster, get its stuff, make new gear, the game might not have legs with me, but it, it's presented in a way that isn't overly confusing that you can kind of basically understand like, okay, I need to kill this monster and I need to get its scales and its hide. And you'll just keep doing that until you get those things. So yeah, it, it is it's an incredibly interesting game. And it's one for me, um, and I think for a lot of people, and I think that's why this game is going to do so well, is that um, Monster Hunter started on the PS2 late in its life cycle. It was an online game, which the PS2 didn't really have a lot of online functionality. You had to buy extra shit to get online. So it didn't really connect with a lot of people. And since then, it had only been on consoles a few times, and it basically lived on PSP for a while, and then uh, 3DS, and I just don't play handheld games. So I kept hearing about Monster Hunter. It looked really cool. It seemed like a game I'd be interested in. It just wasn't on a platform that I was interested in playing it on. And now that it's on PS4, I think a lot of people like myself were interested in this series. This was a good jumping in point, and they they do a good job of giving you a lot of stuff to kind of you know get familiar with, but the most important stuff is pretty easy to grasp. And it just... It's translated, it's translated into now that we played it for one weekend, and I think we're all hooked. And I knew when I went to work today, I was like, I'm going to text Sean. I bet you money to dollars that this guy did not go to work today because we were all that enthralled at the game. And I asked him, like, you go to work today? He's like, nah, I skipped today. And I was like, I am not fucking surprised. Because it, it does that. It does that It does that online thing where it just sinks your teeth in. And it's like, man, let, let's, let's do one more hunt. I just need a couple more pieces to get this armor set. And that loop continues. So, yeah, it's a great game. And, uh... Steffi, you want to talk about Dragon Ball? I, I, all I'd say about that is that it's a really flashy three-on-three fighting game that is incredibly easy to do really cool stuff, which I think could be some of the barriers on a lot of these fighting games is like, oh, sometimes it's really hard to pull off cool-looking combos. You have to spend a lot of time working at it. And this game, you can just push one button repeatedly and you'll do some cool shit. Um, you won't do as much damage and you can do better combos than that. But at a really base level, anyone could just smash buttons and pull off some really cool looking shit in that game. And I think that's fun. There's a lot of modes that you can spend a lot of time just battling, which I think is really cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, presentation wise, I just, I love it. It looks so much like the anime, you know, um, just even the little transitions, like when you eliminate one of the fighters and the next guy comes in the way they do those cut zooms, um, you know, we grew up on Dragon Ball. I, I honestly have admittedly haven't watched Super a whole bunch. So, like, a lot of the newer characters, like, that same impact, like, you know, Beerus or whatever, or the 80th incarnation of Frieza. Um, but it looks great. And, you know, uh, when Mark says that flashy three-on-three, three, I associate it with, like, the Capcom versus games, whether it's Marvel versus Capcom, uh, I think... Yeah, that, that's the most current iteration. Originally, Street Fighter versus Capcom. I've loved those games. They have like a bit of a kind of the animation style is a bit more exaggerated, which is why I always thought it would be perfect for Dragon Ball Z is because they took Ryu's Hadouken and they made it look like a giant Kamehameha wave come to fruition. It really is like the fever dream of like a child age stuff on in terms of fighting games. Um, again, it's another great game. I like that you can pretty much earn everything from just playing the game. 
Um, it's such a weird thing to have to be thankful for, but we live in the era of microtransactions, right? So um, games giving me the ability to earn things by just playing it and not needing these like paywalls of premium currencies. I, I love stuff like that. Um, and I just think the hub uh, just exists in a bunch of menus. You kind of, uh, everything you do is navigated through this little hub world where you see other people playing the game and you get like little Dragon Ball character avatars, uh, which is fun. You know, there's a little like loot box system with points you earn. Nappa one. I got Mr. Satan. I told Mark I was really thankful for not the much lamer, like, American translation of uh, Hercule, I think they called him. But uh, if you're a Dragon Ball fan, I really shouldn't have to talk to you into that game. You are a DBZ fan. Yeah. And I you think I will I'm, love it. I know you haven't really played the story much. And this is the last I'll talk about Dragon Ball because I, I know I still have to do my stuff and I think Mike has to do his and we're running long or whatever. But, uh, it um like like Steph said, if you're a Dragon Ball fan, they do so many little nods with when they're introducing different characters. Like they talk to Yamcha, who's like this really to calling him like a C tier character is like not even right. Like he's just a garbage character as far as the anime goes. And every time he's talking, he's like, Yeah, I don't really fight anymore. I can't really compete with these guys. But what I like about the story is it's very kind of aware that it is a video game. The basic the whole story is like Goku has amnesia. And there's some spirit, which is you, the player, that is embodying this character. And everyone, they, 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 it, it's very self-aware that it is a video game. And it's very interesting that they went with that kind of story. And I mean, it's it's just, I'm thankful that they didn't do what they've done for the past decade. It's just like, let's just retell what the anime does. And I think Dragon Ball has gotten better with like, okay, everyone knows the story at this point. We need to mix it up. And I think Xenoverse did a good job of that. But really, like, like Steph and I said, what, what really makes the game so special is that not only does it look and feel like Dragon Ball, it, it, it really just encompasses those things from the show that you just never really thought you'd get in the game. And it does it really well. And one of my favorite things is just like Steph said, when you finish this dude off and you fucking kick him like miles away into a giant mountain and the mountain splits up when it hits him, it's like, fuck, that is straight from the show. That's what I always wanted in these games. And they could never really deliver. So it's just, it, it's, it's really, it's a great time to be into video games. And I didn't mention it. And I should have mentioned it in the, when we were talking about, you know, end of the year stuff, like 2017 was an insane year for video games. And we're in the first month of 2018 and we're already just getting like top shelf shit already with like Monster Hunter World, Dragon Ball Z, you had the Street Fighter Arcade Edition. We have UFC, I'll just do my favorite stuff. UFC comes out this week. Don't get that excited for it. I don't think the people developing it are that excited for it. There's nothing, there's no boss rooting pre-order. There's no Sakuraba, like there's no... Mike Tyson, like, what are they doing? Like, there's no, there's no interest in this game this year. I'm still interested in it. They, I played the beta. The game plays better than UFC 2. Not enough to where I'm going to be like, oh, Mike and, uh, I'm sorry, like, Bobby and Steph, you guys got to pick this up. And even Mike, like, it's not that much better to go and full-heartedly recommend it. I'm an idiot that just, that's my Madden. I'll play that all year. Um, and it, this is much better, especially the striking, but nothing to get excited about. I mean, fuck. For the, for the cover, they just put Conor McGregor because they don't know what to do with the game. They don't know what to do with the cover. It's like, let's just do what's popular and just spit another one out. So I sold my game back, my seven, my last year's one or whatever the last one was back to that. I, I, I sold it to Amazon or something or traded yeah, in. $3 at best. No, I got I got like 15 I did it pretty okay. early because I was done with that game. I was done with that game pretty quickly. Yeah. I, um, and I have no interest in replacing it at the current moment. No, I mean, I, I don't care. I feel at their third 
at the third iteration of them doing the series, they either needed to make a bigger leap in the actual gameplay, which they, they did a decent job. The striking is, you know, unquivocally better than UFC 2. Like, it is a is a leap forward. I think they needed a full rehaul, especially of the grappling, because the grappling hasn't changed much, and it just needed to get better. The other thing they could have done is just blown out this roster. L much like, you know, I think we all talked about UFC Undisputed 3, is you know considered by a lot of people to be the best MMA game, and I think a big reason of that is they blew out the fucking you know what they said like you know what we're not just gonna do UFC we're doing fucking Pride we're getting all these guys in there and that's what really made the game at least interesting for me is like we had all you know you had the mashings of two giant organizations coming together different rule sets between the two organizations and the the game at that point for you know THQ and doing the third iteration of U UFC Undisputed they made that leap right from where the first game was to that third game. It had come full circle. It was a great, you know, playing game. UFC 3 is not quite there yet, but uh, yeah, still an interesting, you know, I I'm excited to play it. I really like those games. I just, I wish they would have more old guys in there for me, right? I wish they bring the pride guys back because UFC still has their fucking likeness rights and shit. Like they still have these guys over a barrel. You can put Carlos Newton back in this shit, but the devs just don't want to put the time. They don't have the money or the resources to put all these guys in. I think that's a shame. I think it's a shame they don't have any kooky character this year. I think they're not really doing them. I don't think they. I don't think they really expect expect the game to do that well because, I mean, the first year they did it, I think they had Bruce in it, and then they had Mike Tyson last time, and this year they should have got you know Chuck Norris or. John Claude Van Dam, get someone kooky in there just to, to throw it up and just get people who aren't interested in a UFC game to get interested. I think this year what they did was Bobby, they fucking said, We got Snoop Dogg here. Why don't we have him say like 20 lines for this KO mode? And that's supposed to be like oh, their big kooky. Oh, setup. Marcus, thank you. I actually I made reference to this on our Twitter account. I totally forgot and forgot about this. So I didn't know that was even a thing. No one did it. But, uh, out of a, a friend of ours, uh well um Mike. Uh, went to school with Mike and I, Brian. Brian texts me and says, yo, have you seen this new UFC game? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess. And he's like, they have something called Snoop Mode. I want this game now. I'm like, I guess based that on works. that? I'm, I guess that's their Well, I said, I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm, like, I'm like, is it just commentary? He's like, yeah, Snoop just does a bunch of shit over commentary. I'll be honest. He's like, I'll be honest. It's the most interesting thing about this game to me. So when I wonder why the UFC does shit like bring Snoop Dogg in, and I hear that, I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. I get it. It's just, I think for you and me, it's just like, I'm not even going to play that. I didn't play that mode last year. Maybe I'll play it just to hear. And I think what is I heard it, is, is it like, knockouts mode? What's that? Is it in knockouts mode he's doing it? Yeah. Or it's just, just knockout, knockout mode. He's well, doing this. The well, knockout mode is fun. I played knockout mode. Yeah. It's just, I, I like, I like the full deal. Um, But yeah, I, I guess that's their thing. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't ring. You know, it just, I feel like this is just kind of being spit out. And at this point, I either I, what I, what I would really want because I still want a good UFC game. I want EA to really put this on the back burner and give it like three. They do a two year cycle. Give them three years or something and really flesh this whole thing out. And then add in all the fuckers I want. Add in a pride mode. Do what they did with when when EA first did an MMA game. They didn't have any license except Strike Force. So they're like shit. To make this game interesting, we're gonna have. We're not just doing UFC. We're doing MMA as a sport. So you can fight in Brazil with Valley Judo rules, which is one 20-minute round, no rules. Or you had Japanese rules, or you had Strike Force rules. There was different organizations in England, and that was interesting. And was UFC that for PS3? Really done that. Was that game for PS3? EA yeah, MMA. Yeah, it was PS3 360. It was is right it around Undisputed Three, so it had a lot of stiff competition, but it did a lot of interesting things. And I think EA's done some good things with 
the UFC license, but not enough, you know, not enough to really, I think, I think like Bob and what I read on the message boards all the time is like, man, we really like undisputed three. That's the best MMA game. Why don't they do something like that? They haven't really pulled that off yet. So yeah, it is what it is. Kids, kids, if you want to come at me in those undisputed games, you give me BJ Penn, I will fuck up your world. That was my, those are mine. I was good at those despite the massive limitations. Um, Mike, what do you got, brother, this week? Yes. So this week I saw that there's this new documentary series on Netflix called Dirty Money. Uh, it's a pretty interesting documentary uh, just talking about a lot of the different um, financial scandals that have hit in the last few years. Uh, I've pretty much ran through the whole series. Uh, some of the episodes they focused on um, – I don't know if you guys remember this, but a few years ago, Volkswagen had these like clean diesel VW bugs that it turned out that um, they weren't nearly as clean as they were. And uh, Volkswagen was embroiled in a huge uh, fraud cover up for uh, their emissions testing. So they did an episode on that. They did an episode. Wait, wait, did you say, did you ask if we heard about that? You know what two of us do for a living, right? So, yes. Yes, yes, we did. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um, the other was on, um, you know, just the whole payday loans thing. I'm pretty sure all of you saw those Money Mutual commercials with Montel Williams. Uh, one of them was uh, close to, to my realm of a uh, profession. The episode I just saw before uh, we got on this podcast had to do with, uh, with HSBC and um, their extensive money laundering down in Mexico where essentially they just let the drug cartels do whatever they wanted with their bank accounts, knowing full well that uh, they were doing business with drug dealers. Um, it's a very interesting series. There's only about six episodes in it. So I think it's a very good, uh, very good watch. Um, I've enjoyed it thoroughly now through the first four episodes. Uh, it looks like on the sixth episode, at least from the preview I see here, the name of it is called The Confidence Man, and the preview has a picture of Donald Trump, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that episode. So, when you guys have a few hours to burn, let's say on a Saturday or a Sunday, give Dirty Money uh, a shot. And uh, but, all right. But, well, sorry, I just want to throw in one thing. Have you before we uh, go out? Um, have you guys heard of uh, Altered Carbon coming on Netflix on this Friday? Mike, yeah, for that one. It Everyone's looks like Blade Runner. Yeah, it's supposed to be this sci-fi thing. I just want to get it out there. It's a new thing coming this Friday. I don't really know much about it, but it's been getting the buzz. You know, it's been getting that hot Stranger Things kind of vibe. So, uh, you know. On the second, look out for Altered Carbon. You'll you'll fucking see it on Netflix because they always throw that shit in your face. But uh, just heads up. So when it when it becomes big, you know DJ Mark threw a spotlight on it. All right. Um. Okay. Um. Before we go, I just want to say a couple words. And you know what? Take this how you will. The things that happened in your country today. Uh, a deputy director of the FBI was forced out. A person that's a fierce critic of the president and was involved in the Russia investigation. Also, today, the Republican Party voted to release a partisan classified memo that's effort that its effort is to discredit the FBI investigation. And um, yeah, and then they, uh, you know, 
are investigating the Justice Department and the FBI. And then the president's White House, the Trump White House, said they're not going to be enforcing sanctions against Russia. So um, just know that if Paul Ryan was the leader of the Republican Party when Watergate was going on, Nixon would have finished his fucking term and named an airport after him. So, yeah, happy fucking Monday. Watch the State of the Union tomorrow and laugh. Everybody laugh. Laugh at the orange clown that's the president. Have a good night, as we guys. all stand on the deck as we all stand on the deck of the fucking Titanic. Laugh. Hey. Enjoy I'm, it, I'm people. Playing with the band, Bobby. We're going down with the ship. The it's tire fire joke. that is America. Excuse me. I just want to no, say no, 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 when no. I hear sh- when I hear shit like the uh, California's attorney general says shit like if you as an employer try to help ICE round up illegal immigrants, um that California will prosecute you under California state law. I am prouder to live in this fucking state than one can really measure. Oh, we're getting okay? out of the country, Bobby. We're gonna we're gonna um, blow, we're gonna get a big old earthquake right where yeah. Nevada is and just make our own little island. I mean, fuck yeah, let's all laugh, guy. The president, oh, the president's got small hands. Oh, the president's talking about his dick again. President is manipulated by fucking Russia. We're driving down. Fucking this road to insanity. Remember when they got angry at the last guy because he wore a tan suit? Remember that shit? Yeah. Oh, Bobby, we were because Fox News still talks about it. They're still like, is this guy born in the United States? Who cares? He's not president anymore. I mean, I know, I know you guys are going to come to us. It's over. I know you guys, I mean, I know we're not a political show, but you know what? Fuck it. This is our show. We're going to say what the fuck we want. The president is a stupid racist asshole, and you support him. I think less of you on every single fucking level. All right? So happy evening. Enjoy yourselves. The State of the Union is tomorrow. Watch something else. He's going to fucking lie to you for an hour anyway. You know what? A lot of people aren't going. Don't watch it. All the man cares about is television ratings. Fucking ignore it. What's he going to tell you? Huh? How well the country's doing? It's not. We're watching. It's not going well. Does that mean there are some empty seats? You think I could get one? Oh. (laughs) Woo! Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Be on StubHub. They printed the tickets wrong. It says State of the Union. Okay? (laughs) Union. Is it the Yum? The Yum Company owns it? Uh, no, yeah, it's not the KFC Yum Center sponsoring this motherfucker. You, all know, right? you know Trump wish it was. He's like, give me some of that chicken. Give me some of double cheeseburgers from McDonald's. Let me curl up in bed. Oh, yeah. People are offended that, the, that Hillary Clinton won on the Grammys and made fun of Trump while reading that, that book. And you know what that book says? It says the president's a fucking dumbass. That's why his feelings are hurt. All right? I, I really ended this though, Bobby. He'll he'll come after you. Oh, eat a eat a giant bag of dicks, <laughs> that piece of shit. We authorized spying through the NSA program. So man, I'm Iranian, man. You don't think he's seeing this? I got a webcam right now. That's what I'm, I'm show my dick That's once this podcast is over. They're, okay. They're, they're okay, well they're let me wearing, know before that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, Bobby. They're not worrying about the great white hope, aka Mark. They worrying about you, man. You better watch yourself. Dude, Mark <laughs> Mark, you don't think Mark's being watched? Mark Mark's been friends with these on this podcast. This poor white boy. You know what? I, you know what? I turned 32 years old in a week. You know what? It's fine. Whatever. Come get me. I like how this whole time you know, Stefan has stayed completely silent. <laughs> Stefan, Stefan's trying not to get looped into this thing. <laughs> Stefan's got plans. Stefan has to go to the airport soon, probably. <laughs> hey, hey. Don't rope me into this, guys. I got, I, I, got, guys... Uh, I got Duterte going on back home. I, I got, I, I'm, I'm getting it on all that. <laughs> Like, that, that's all I get. Uh, that's all I get to say is, hey, we don't have public firing squads. That's yet. true. Hey, at least at least Trump's not just like carrying a handgun, just shooting dudes, sprinkling crack on them, being like, I did a good job today. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, like, that. okay, Target California. See how well that goes for you. Do the math. Oh, you're not going to send federal funds to California? Do you know how much more fucking money we give to this fucking place than we get back? You I am all Enjoy for secession. I want California secession so I can have Canadian health care. That's all I want in my life. That is all <laughs> I want. Nice. Oh. Oh, who's going to protect you? Do you know who's going to protect us? The United States. You know why? Because they will sign a treaty in the first five minutes when we say we're going to start charging you money for Google. All right? That's what's going to happen. All right? Oh, I was going to be like, like Google? I'm going to be like, you like, porn, you like Pornhub? We're going to withhold the porn. California, that's, yeah, you make a lot of porn. Better. That's better. Wait, wait, oh, I yeah. Do you guys like iPhones? You ain't getting none of those either. Wait a second. I thought in California you guys had to wear condoms now for your porn. I thought they had exported all that, the porn. From that's only in Los Angeles County. We all voted no on that statewide. Yeah, they, we they, voted they, for weed anti-condoms. Yeah, all they did is pretty much ruin the San Fernando, ruin Porn Valley's economy. Well done. All right, we're way off track. We've lost tons of people, I'm sure, at this point. Oh, yeah. We're, um, we're thank you all for episode one, Bob. <laughs> Yeah, we're 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 uh we're just giving up here. Um all right guys, uh honestly thank you for listening. And if you're offended by what I say, uh don't come back. All right? Well, Eat a dick. This if, 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 if you're a Trump supporter, I'm gonna be honest. I'm I'm surprised you found us. Yeah, honestly at this point, you know what? We make no money on this podcast. You guys have seen the they've seen the spreadsheet. We lose money every minute this thing exists. All right? So you're not doing anything by not showing up. All right? Don't, so fuck don't off if you don't if you don't like what we say. I need validation. Bring your friends. <laughs> Mike uh, Mike read uh, all the pre-show prep I did. Mike read 45 seconds before this fucking podcast started. So yeah, Mike fuck off. All right? You guys uh, <laughs> uh, back next week where we're going to try to talk about this is there? We're gonna talk about this fucking uh, pay per view. Is that what's happening? Did anybody yeah, look? Yeah, yeah, it'll be the pay per view. Yeah, it's a, we're picking two fights, the top two. Nice. All right, all right. Thank you guys all for listening. Honestly, um, check out all the shit the guys talked about. That DBZ game, the monster hunting game, the documentary, the documentary series. Mike, what was it called? Dirty money. Dirty money. Dirty money. Um, if you got a WWE Network account and you're not watching NXT, I don't know what the point of this conversation is. Because that's the only reason to have a WWE Network account. Um, or if you want to get one to watch Ronda, switch over to the NXT tab. All right? Just, it's better. It's a better show. All right? Um, thank you all for listening. We are out. Peace. See ya. See ya. Peace.